Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I am calling this episode One and Done, referring to the two programs featured tonight, as well as past series I featured on this podcast, and hopefully will continue to feature in future shows, meaning throughout the years when I was collecting radio shows, as well as doing research for this podcast, I've discovered several radio series that only had one episode. Many of them were audition episodes, or as we will call them, pilots, which never got picked up. But I do believe several of them just didn't survive the test of time, which is a shame. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two programs featured tonight are entitled Out of This World and Thrill Hunter. Now, Out of This World, I don't have too much information on this one. Um, Basically, there's one episode and it's entitled Dead of Night and it was broadcasted on February 28th, 1947. Now, this was based off of off of now, this was based off of a very popular British anthology horror film by the same name that came out in 1945. And the radio play was an adaptation of the segment, The Rentuliquist Dummy. This script was also utilized a month later for the premiere episode of The Escape radio series and maybe one day down the line I'll actually uh, feature that episode so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to Dead of Night what happened, Inspector. Ask Toby. Yes, Toby, who is only a ventriloquist dummy, but who knows more than you think. If you want to hang me, let him be a witness. Out of this world. Columbia's parade of outstanding stories of those moments when reality turns to illusion, when fancy becomes fact. Sharp, shocking fact. Tonight, a remarkable adventure from the successful English motion picture, Dead of Night. A story which, for the next half hour, will take you out of this world. 
you there now? Enough of that noise. You're disturbing all the other prisoners. God, tell me where, Toby. What have they done with me, Toby? Ah, so it's Toby again, is it? Now stop all that fuss about the dummy. I want you to afford any more noise in that solitary confinement for you. But I must see Toby. Oh, God, God, I'll pay you anything if you'll bring Toby to me. Ah, you ventriloquist, with a queer one. All this fuss about a talking doll. He's not a talking doll. Don't you understand? He's... Toby. Where is he? What's happened to him? How should I know? Probably safe enough. The inspector will take care of him. Well, you tell the inspector to send Toby back to me. Back to me, do you hear? Tell him I want Toby and I want him right now. Oh, sure, sure. Inspector Dodds will be happy to do anything you say. You're an impertinent fellow. Oh, yeah, you're a rough one, all right. You're just lucky I ain't in here for murder. Lucky that fella Leswell you shot is coming along, all right. Leswell, whatever happens to him makes no difference to me. I wish he was dead. He tried to steal Toby from me. Now, ain't that a pretty thing to say? Ain't you a charge? I'm sorry I caused you any trouble. All I want is one trainer, please. Go to the inspector, go to somebody, go to anybody and tell them I've got to see Toby. I've got to see Toby. He's raising a devil of a row down in the tells. Keeps yelling he wants his dummy brought back to him. I see. Well, if letting Tompkins have the dummy will keep him quiet, perhaps we can arrange it. Oh, good heavens, sir. Is that him there? In the chair? Huh? Oh, yes. That's Toby. How oh, Sits up in the chair real lifelike, don't he, Inspector? Amazing, ain't it? It's fantastic that a man could be attached to such a thing. Queer how Tompkins keeps saying, uh... If you want to know why he shot Laswell, ask the dummy. <laughs> He's an odd one, all right. Imagine asking anything from the likes of this. Such a blank, idiotic little face he's got. <laughs> so you're Toby, are you? So it's you that's responsible for all the trouble I'm having with your master today. Poor Mr. Tompkins. If I wasn't a mild man, I'd change that smelly smirk on your face. I'd give you a real sad look, I would. With oh, my all right, now hold on there. Do you think that stick of wood will answer you? Eh? Oh. You know very well only a ventriloquist can make a dummy talk. Now, sorry, sir. I, I guess I did look a bit foolish. Yeah, so before we all do, we'd better get to the bottom of this. God, bring Tompkins up here. Time we had a little talk. <laughs> If I promise that Toby will soon be returned to you, will you cooperate with me? Toby? Is he here? Is he near me, here? Yes. But you can't see him oh, yet. But I must see him, Inspector. You will, but not before I have certain facts. Certain facts? About your quarrel with Mel Laswell. Now, if you tell me the whole story, I may be able to help you. Help me? Why? Why should the police help me? Because it's part of my job. Yes, but you've done your job. I've admitted I shot Laswell. I did it. What else matters? Your motive. He tried to steal Toby from me. Isn't that motive enough? Tompkins, I really can't understand you. Understand? Of course you can't understand. I wouldn't expect you to. You've never spent years, endless years, playing shoddy, cheap music halls, starving out at the elbow because you couldn't find a partner who understood you. You never toiled day and night for weeks on end. 
creating somebody like Toby who could go to the big town with you. Oh, Toby could tell you what it's been like, all right. Unfortunately, Tompkins, Toby has shown no inclination to speak to me as yet. <laughs> Toby would appreciate that, exactly. Yes, indeed he would. <laughs> what have you done with him? You'll see him soon enough, I promise you. But first, I want to know what makes you think Mel Laswell tried to steal Toby. Oh, I was aware of Laswell's intentions right from the start, exactly. Even before I met him. I had a premonition that something, somebody he might separate me from Toby. I couldn't stand that. I was much to him as he to me. I see. When I met Lazarus at the club that night, I realized almost at once that he might be the one to cause the trouble. I suppose you've seen Lazarus. You know the sort he is. Regular troublemaker. Yes, Tompkins, I've seen him. Now come to the point. <laughs> well, as I intimated before... Toby and I have been playing all the better music halls in the last few years. Top billing, you know. And then we got our engagement at the Kit Kat, West End nightclub. That's about as high as Toby and I, or any act for that matter, can go. He was standing backstage, waiting for the dark act to finish their turn. It's only a standard act, not particularly hard for us to follow. And then Bigelow, the master of ceremonies, came along. Glad to see you ready to go, Tompkins. You're on as soon as they finish the waltz. We know our act, Mr. Bigelow. Well, just so you know yours as well. Not so, babe. Well, I don't want him to forget to take the chair out tonight. I have the chair right here. Now, don't worry. It won't happen like it did last night. And do us the favor of getting off the floor when you've introduced us. You messed up the whole first part of our act standing behind us. Here now. Now, don't say that. After all, it was your opening night, and how was I to know your act? You did it deliberately. You were trying to cut in on our laughs. Now, look here. I don't have to take this kind of stuff. What? Toby, that was not at all professional. Mr. Bigelow, I apologize, and Toby doesn't seem to have the grace to do it. Very well, I accept it. Huh? Well, <laughs> well now, what do you think of that? How do you think you take me in Tompkins? Do you see if I don't get to thinking that dummy is a living thing? Bigelow is a terrible ass, isn't he, Tompkins? Why, <laughs> right, Joe, it's remarkable. Tremendously real, you know, the illusion. Oh, right. Oh, by the way, you'll want to be particularly good this evening. You have a rival out there. Mm-hmm. Who? Laswell. Mel Laswell, the American. The ventriloquist from the state. Laswell? Oh, don't tell me you haven't heard him on the wireless. Here, look. Have a look. Uh, uh, he's, he's at the front table over to the left. Oh, yes. Yes, I see him. Mm, and who's the gorgeous young lady? His wife. He's awfully good. World's greatest ventriloquist, I've heard say. I like her. <laughs> don't you recognize Presidentry Bigelow? He may be the best, and again, he may not be the best. And you're pretty jealous, aren't you, Tompkins? No, nothing of the sort. In fact, you feel more uncomfortable than ever tonight, working in front of a real artist. Now, see here, Toby. But as usual, I'll carry you along. You'll carry me. I'll have you know I carry this out. Now, please, please, both of you. Stay out of this fat mouth. Now, see here, joke's a joke, but when you use the... By George, you took me up the road again, Tompkins. I thought you and this wooden imp were rowing. <laughs> As though he were human. <laughs> Imagine me thinking he's actually human. Stop clavering, Rubber. Let's get out there and bring us on. Yes, yes, of course. And don't forget the chair. Oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, here it is. Look, I'm going to introduce Laswell before I bring you off. Must you. Oh, my God. 
Please don't blame me for this. It's that girl. He's speaking all this through Toby. He's trying to steal Toby away from me. Mel, is that true? Do you have something to do with it? Relax, honey. Get the rest of this routine. I'm being quite sincere, Mr. Laswell. I'll work for you and you. Well, don't you say me a topic. Mel, are you speaking through Toby? Well, Mr. Laswell, will you take me on? Watch him try to get out of this one, Claudia. I'm thinking about it, Toby. Oh, Mel. Toby, either you behave yourself or I'll take you off the floor. That's right, that's right. Just when I'm about to get a good job, call the MC back. Tell him you want to run away and hide. Come on now, Bigelow. Duncan, need your help. All right, all right. Just as you say, Duncan. That's all, and thank you for this little instruction surprise. Oh, brother, it's about time the MC took over. It's all about the show, friends. All about the show. Call me, Bigelow. Give him a nice hand here. You're the man That's how I knew, Inspector, that Laswell had taken more than casual notice of Toby. Oh, I could have forgiven him for his interference on the floor of the club. That, that might have been mere professional discourtesy. But there was something else in Laswell's attitude that made me fear the man. It was his personal interest in Toby. Now, he wanted to separate us. I became certain of this later when he came back to my dressing room pretending friendliness. <coughs> Anyone in there? Who is it? No last well, Duncan. Mr. Lasman. Well, oh, how do you do? Uh, you mind if we come in for a moment? All right. Please do. Uh, this is my wife, Mr. Duncan. Mrs. Lasman. Mr. Duncan. Won't you sit down? Throw those dressing gowns on the floor. Thank you. Well, so this is your boy. Nice carving job. <laughs> I'm very handsome. Uh, don't you think so, Mrs. Laswell? <laughs> well, you certainly are, Toby. Well, Tompkins, I've been curious to know who made him for you. Don't put your hands on him. Oh, well, I prefer sorry. that you left Toby alone. Well, certainly, you needn't worry. I'm quite handy with dummies myself. You certainly surprised me with that little act out front. Your own part in it surprised me, Mr. Laswell. Oh, believe me, Tompkins, I never didn't expect anything. You'll see, Mr. Laswell, Tompkins' attitude requires some sympathy. He's quite aware he's not our equal. Keep quiet, Toby. Tompkins, how far does this gag go? That depends on you, Mr. Laswell, and on just why you came to my dressing room. Oh, only professional courtesy. If you've come to make some sort of a bargain for Toby, I am not going to permit it. Now, wait, Mr. Tompkins. I will not permit yes, it. wait, Tompkins. I will not permit it. Whatever the Laswells have to say to me is my affair. You might even pretend you're a gentleman and make a graceful extra. Toby, if you're trying to make me look ridiculous... I'm succeeding. Yes, I know. Now go on over behind the screen and get your makeup off. Very well, Toby. But I warn you... Beat it! Uh, pay no attention to him, Mrs. Laswell. I don't. Well, I don't understand. This fellow's amazing. Not at all. He's stupid, really. Constantly interfering in my affairs. Uh, Mrs. Laswell, now that we're alone, may I tell you something? Something I'm sure you've heard before. What is it, Toby? That you're very beautiful. That I'm very fond of you, Mrs. Laswell. Oh, now, look here. And whatever Tompkins thinks, Mrs. Laswell, you're really a very nice woman. Well, I'll be... No, no, I don't like this. Tompkins. Yes? Come out here. Well... 
What is it? How far do you want to carry a joke? A joke? Either you apologize to Mrs. Laswell right now. for what? For the last crack you just made through Toby. Did I? Listen, you... Really, Mr. Laswell, I don't know what you're talking about. Mel, darling, let's get out of here. You're not going to leave me, are you, Mr. Laswell? Please don't. You're an awfully funny fellow, Tompkins. Don't blame me for all this. Take me with you, Mr. Laswell. I just want to be near her. If you're afraid I'll make love to her, you needn't worry. I wouldn't. Tompkins, this is the most disgraceful demonstration I've ever heard. What can I do about him? Mel, please, come on. I love her. I'll do anything if you'll just let me go with you, Mr. Laswell. Anything. All right, Tompkins, you ask for it. Oh, no, Mel, don't hit him. Don't hit him. No. Oh. oh, Mel. Why did you do it? The man's not natural. What's going on? I don't know what's eating that fellow. Rib's a rib, but he doesn't know where to stop. I guess he got the last laugh on me, making me lose my temper. Well, he doesn't seem to be doing much laughing. He, uh, he's all right? He's a bit done in. Can't say he didn't have it coming, though. Oh, darling, I'm glad he didn't break the dummy when he fell. (laughs) And you do care what happens to me. I love you, Mrs. Laswell. So you see, Inspector, I should have known then that I couldn't prevent Lazarus from getting Toby. I knew they'd be plotting the two of them. I see. One question, Mr. Tompkins. Yes. Would you say that Mrs. Laswell is an exceptionally attractive woman? To some men, perhaps. And since we know that you think and speak through the dummy, isn't it just possible that you may yourself find Mrs. Laswell uh, appealing? Oh, what is this rubbish you're talking? Are you interested in learning the truth of what happened, or are you are you trying to muddle me up? I'd like to hear the matter out, Mr. Tompkins. As you well know, I was sacked by the Kit Kat on the spot. I hardly spoke to Toby all the way home. I wanted to impress upon him the misfortune he'd caused us. But first, I hoped that Toby's attentions to Mrs. Laswell had embarrassed them both so much that Laswell would no longer feel any interest in him. But in my heart, I knew the Laswells hadn't finished, but at that very moment, they must have been plotting. Plotting their next move to get Toby away from me. I'll tell you what that next move was. In our hotel, I carefully turned the key in the lock. Toby and I were secured for the night. I put him in his own little bed and then made ready for bed myself. As I moved around the room, his eyes followed me scornfully. Then I thought of the revolver in my bag and took it out. With the revolver in my right hand and the key in my left, I lay down on the bed and waited. I dozed off. I don't know for how long. But suddenly I was awake, my eyes staring... Toby was gone. What is it? Laswell, I want to talk to you. No, be careful. It's Tompkins. The door is locked. Where is Toby? Get out, Tompkins. I'll come for Toby. Where is he? You've stolen Toby from me and I want him back. I don't know what you're talking about, but if you're referring to your dummy, I haven't seen him. Now, now, get out. Uh, oh. What's wrong, dear? Uh, on the floor. On the floor at the foot of my bed. Toby, Toby, there you are. I found you. Oh, my poor little Toby, you've been kidnapped. Look, Tompkins, I don't know how your dummy got here. Toby, Toby, speak to me. Wake up, Toby. Look, Mel. 
Look how he's oh, shaking that awful thing. He's always trying to wake him. Oh, you're not deceiving me, Toby. You know very well I'm here. Go away and leave me alone. I'm through with you, Tompkins. Oh, yes. Take it easy, Claudia. We've had all we can take of this, Tompkins. Are you going to deny you stole Toby from me? I certainly am. Look here, man. You're mad. You're ill. Ill? Grammar. You took Toby from me and you say I'm ill? I didn't take Toby. You brought the dummy here. You must have brought it here. Or maybe while you were walking in your sleep, but you brought it here. I'm going to prove it. Stay away from the phone. No, he has a gun. You can shoot if you like. But I'm going to prove to you that... Hello. Hello, give me the desk clerk, please. Tompkins, I won't go with you. I'm going to stay with her forever. If Mr. Laswell will let me... Clerk, this is Mr. Laswell in 722. I want to know if someone came to my room a few hours ago. Is this some sort of trick? A man came, you say, and he was carrying a ventriloquist dummy. Mm. You let him come up. Did you hear that, Tompkins? Uh, I'm not deceived by this. Will you describe the man for me, please? No. No, you're a devil, Laswell. You stole Toby from me, now you're trying to drive me mad. Well, here, take the phone. No, no, I'll it. You're tricking me again. Toby, come Well, you won't succeed this time. <laughs> that I shot Laswell, Inspector, but I, I believe the provocation was ample. I dare say you would agree. After all, Laswell turned a friend against me, an old and a very valued friend. Who mind me? Very much. Tompkins, in due time, I may ask you to sign a formal confession on the basis of the story you just told me. No objection. I'll sign it. Oh, by the way, Inspector... I wonder if now you might let me see Toby again. I don't know. I'd like to oblige you. But... It's only for a short while, sir. I felt rather badly about not seeing him, especially after our trouble. And if you're given a little time together, perhaps Toby and I could straighten out our affairs. Well, if you like, I think I can manage with. Perhaps uh, have him brought down to yourself. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing Toby again. I am indeed. That's the story as Tompkins told it to me, Mr. Laswell. It's, it's incredible. I, well, I had some idea what was going on in the fellow's mind, but, but that is... No, I'm so sorry for it. Uh, just one question, Mr. Laswell. You'll pardon my asking. Yes? Did you have anything to do with what's happened to the Kit Kat? I mean, you didn't project your voice through Toby. Certainly not. Uh, so I thought. This business has me baffled. I thought Tompkins might be more dangerous than he's already proved. Well, I'm afraid there is that possibility, Inspector. Huh? It may be that Tompkins has become so accustomed to thinking as two persons that the personalities have actually become divided. Is that possible? For one man to have two separate and distinct personalities? Yes, that's not rare. Well, I'll admit I've, I've never heard of anything exactly like this business. What will happen to him now? It's a battle that Tompkins will have to fight out within himself. As long as he's in that cell without the dummy, he may learn to think for himself as himself again. Good heavens, man. Look here, I permitted that dummy to be taken to the Tompkins in his cell. You what? Tompkins was so keen on having a dummy with him no, that I... do you think that will harm him? Well, I don't know, but... Uh, Inspector, Inspector, All right, here I am. Uh, it's that Tompkins, sir. That Jaren knows something awful in this cell. What's happened? We put the big doll in with him, like you said, sir, and right off he began arguing with it. Jaren on a fight. Real life, like... It's just like two people want to eat each other. Well, Aswell, you were right. Come on, we'd better get to them before it's too late. (laughs) 
Well, all I can say is I knew you'd wind up this way sometime. Put away for keeps a jailbird. Oh, Toby, I can't stand you having to talk to me that way. How can you be so ungrateful? I made you everything you are. Ha! You made me, did you? You were the smallest of the small till I teamed with you. Have you forgotten that once you were an empty, lifeless stick of wood? Oh, come off it, Tompkins. You're a regular slush pot of sentimentality. Please, please be a little kind to me. Get away from me. I can't stand the beggar. Why should I have anything to do with you? You've never done anything right. You couldn't even kill us. Oh, shut up, Toby. Shut up. Don't torture me. I wish you had killed him. Then his wife would belong to me. I could be with her forever. Oh, you fool. Don't you know that's impossible? You're just saying that you're jealous because I love her. Oh, no, I can't stand it. You're a, you're a monster. I've got to get rid of you. I've got to kill you. Destroy you. Tompkins, take your hands off me. I'm through with you. Take your hands off. No. No. I'll kill you, you vulgar little swine. Now tell me I failed at everything. I've smashed your face. You can't kill me, Tompkins. No matter how you try, you can't kill me. Can't I? I guess we'd better see what we can do for the poor devil. Yes, he made a pile of kindling out of his dummy, didn't he? Oh, Mel, what'll it do to him when he sees what he's done to Toby? How is he, Inspector? He's coming around all right. Tompkins. Tompkins, come out of it, fellow. Everything's going to be all right. He's reviving. He's opening his eyes. Come on, now. I'll help you sit up. There's a fellow. Feeling a little better now, aren't we? Mr. Dodd. He's looking around for the dummy. Here we are, Tompkins. I guess this is what you're looking for. Your dummy's broken up a bit, but he'll be all right. <laughs> he said he'd kill me, but I told him he couldn't. I killed him. Isn't that wonderful, Mrs. Gladwell? Tompkins is dead. Now we can be together forever, the three of us. You want me, don't you, Mrs. Laswell? You've got to want me because I think you're beautiful. And I love you and I'll be your slave always and always.
past 30 minutes, CBS has presented Out of This World, bringing you Charles Gussman's adaptation of the motion picture Dead of Night. Barry Kroger was featured as Tompkins and Art Carney as Toby. Original music by Albert Berman. Out of This World is directed by John Moseman for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. And it's a shame that that was the only episode that survived, or maybe the only episode that was broadcasted. The next radio program is entitled Thrill Hunter. And it was a syndicated radio series. And that's all I know. I wasn't able to find any information about this program. And I completely scrubbed the internet. Even went on various old-time radio blogs asking if anyone had heard of this radio show. And I received no responses. The episode, excuse me, the radio play is called Ghost in the Cemetery. And I really enjoyed this story. And I think you will too. So, you know what to do. Sit back. Turn up. (laughs) Turn down the lights. And let's listen to Ghost in the Cemetery. Well, uh... This time, I'm going to give you a ghost story, a true ghost story. Now, wait a minute. No matter how skeptical you are, I'd like to make you a little proposition. I'd like to bet you that before I finish, you're going to believe it. As impossible as this story seems, I think I'm going to be able to convince you that it's true. One evening, I sat in a little cafe in Paris, talking with a fellow who was attached to the Paris Detective Bureau, or as they call it, the Paris Surete. As I had been with the United States Secret Service for a number of years, we naturally talked shop, crime and crime detection. This fellow told me a yarn, one of the most uncanny cases in the records of the Paris Surete. He said that residents in the neighborhood of the San Panas Cemetery had reported the appearance of a ghost. Like all incidents of this sort, their descriptions of the specter were rather vague. One man claimed he had seen the thing at night as he passed the cemetery. It had thrust its head up above the stone wall that surrounded the place and leered at him. A horrible face, chalk white, the eyes lifeless and staring, the lips set in a ghastly, merciless grin. The man didn't stop to investigate further details. Then there was a girl, a domestic, employed in one of the homes near there. She claimed that in passing the cemetery late that one evening... A figure had leaped out of the bushes at her. What did the figure look like? Her only description was that it was horrible, that it made no sound. She ran screaming for help. The monster followed her, or uh, so she said, its footsteps making no noise against the flag pavement. A gendarme reached the scene just as the girl crumpled up in a faint. But he reported he saw no pursuer. If there had been something, it had vanished. The police paid little attention to these stories. Ghost scares are common enough everywhere. Someone starts the rumor, and imagination does the rest. But one morning, 
Somebody discovered something near the cemetery that seemed to point to the fact that this was no ordinary ghost scare. The evidence indicated murder, a very unusual, brutal type of murder. What was found was a human hand, a hand that had apparently been hacked off at the wrist. A search was made, and several other dismembered portions of the body were found, but not enough to establish the identity of the victim. Now, of course, this didn't mean that the murderer was a ghost. The police didn't even consider the ghost angle of it at all. And then one rainy January night, a belated pedestrian passed the cemetery, his footsteps echoing eerily as he walked along. from the shadows of the wall. Right, wait a moment. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, this man's dead. Oh, well, I, I couldn't help it. It was it was self-defense, self-defense. I tell you, he, he tried to rob me. How did you kill him? Uh, I struck at him. Struck at him. I struck him on the head with my cane. With it? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, you hit him on the head with it? Yes, yes, when he leaped at me. Oh, I didn't stop to think. I just, I just... Just struck at him. Oh, he leaped at you, eh? Yes. Yes. Oh, he almost threw me to the ground. He overpowered me. What do you mean, he overpowered you? Well, I told you, he leaped at me. Why, he's an old man. He couldn't have overpowered you. Oh, he did. He did. He sprang at me. He, he sprang at me like a, like a tiger. Just a moment. Now, where's your knife? My, my knife? Yes, the knife you stabbed him with. Stabbed him? Stabbed him? Why? Why, you don't think I... I st- stabbed him? Oh. Yeah, yeah, what's going on here, huh? What's happening? Well, Dupree, I think we've caught the ghost of San Fanas. That old fellow's been stabbed to death. Oh, oh, you must be mad. I, I didn't kill him. I only... You're did... under arrest. I warn you that anything you say may be used against you. But you can't arrest me. I, I didn't kill him. I, I tell you, he... He tried to rob me. He, he tried to rob me. Dupree, you stay here and watch the body. I'll send the wagon for it as soon as I take this man to the district station. Oh, no. No, no. You, you can't take me, I tell you. I didn't do it. I'm not a murderer. It was self-defense. He, Keep he, quiet. Now, come on. And so the search for the fiend who lurked in the shadows of San Fernas Cemetery seemed to have come to an end. The mystery was solved. The murderer caught practically red-handed. Later that evening, in the district station... Come in. Well, uh, have you finished searching for him? Yes, sir. Find a knife? No, sir. But the prey just brought this in. Mm. An infantry bayonet. Where did he find this? It was near the cemetery wall. Mm-hmm. Well, this is just about all the evidence we need, I think. Has it been examined for bloodstains and fingerprints? Yes, sir. 
But lying there in the rain, they were washed off. Mm. But that's the knife he did it with, sir. Yes, I think you're right. I think we've caught the ghost of San Fernas. Oh, Bono doesn't know you found this, does he? No, sir. Good. Now, I'll put it in the drawer here, and when I bring it out, I'll wager I'll be able to get a complete confession. Oh, uh, you might tell Dr. Mortimer about it. Tell him the man was stabbed in the throat with a bayonet, and we have the bayonet. Yes, sir. And tell him to report to me as soon as he has finished examining the body. Why, this case is going to be an easy one. Uh, have you got Bono's report there? Yes, sir. Well, let me have it. And bring Bono in. Yes, sir. Tell Dr. Mortimer what I told you. Yes, sir. Uh, sit down, Bono. Thank you. Now, I'll read these questions to you and your answers, just to make sure I have them correct. Your name is Victor Bono. Yes. Age 36, not married, residing at 16 Rue Moulin. Yes. Employed as a clerk by the firm of Roger and Son. Yes, sir. On the evening of January 30th, while you were passing the Champenard Cemetery, you allege an, uh, a man sprang out of the shadows and tried to rob you. Hmm. Let me see. About what time was that? Well, I don't know exactly. Uh, sometime between 12 and 1 o'clock. Between 12 and 1 o'clock. You struck him with your cane and called for help. Yes. Officer Valsan responded, and when he arrived, he found the man dead. But I didn't kill him. You, don't you see? He, he attacked me. He tried to rob me, and I... This, I... this isn't a confession. Oh. Why, it's simply a statement confirming Valsan's report. I'm merely reading your own answers to the questions you were asked. Now, all I want to know is whether your answers were put down correctly. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, they're correct. Now, uh, I'd like to ask you some other questions. You stated that you live uh, at number 16, Rue Malone. What were you doing in the vicinity of San Bernard? Well, I, uh, I was looking for a gentleman, a, a Mr. Cartier. He, he's a customer of our firm, and he owes us a small sum, and... And I thought that I would try and collect it. I I wanted to close my books for the month, tomorrow. Did you find him? No, sir. No, no, he he wasn't there. Do you ordinarily set out to collect bills between 12 and 1 o'clock at night? Oh, no. No, no, of course not. But, but Cartier uh, runs a little cafe, and it's usually open until quite late. And, and I was very anxious to close his account. I, I've been working on the books, you see, and... Uh, well, now, how much did he owe your firm? Forty francs. And at midnight or thereabouts, you went halfway across Paris to collect forty francs for your firm. You are an exceptionally conscientious employee, Monsieur Bonnet. Well, I, I... I've been to a theater not far from his cafe. Oh, I see. And being in the neighborhood, you decided to stop in and see him. Yes, yes, that's it. But he wasn't at the cafe. Oh, no, sir. So you set out for home. Yes, sir. Walking. Yes, sir. Through the rain. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I, 
You, I didn't think I could afford a cab. I'd, I'm far from being a wealthy man, sir. Yet you could afford to attend a theater. Oh, well, I... Well, you see, that's, that's just the point. I, I couldn't afford the theater and the cab both. I, oh. oh, I know you don't believe me, but I'm telling you the truth. I swear it. I didn't have... Sit down, Monsieur Bonneau. Now, no one's accused you of not telling the truth. Oh, but you think I'm lying. Well, why should you lie? It will be a very easy matter to find out if you do work for Roger and Son, and if you did attend the theater, and if you called at Cartier's Café. Oh, I... Yeah, well, now tell me once more. Tell me just how this man tried to rob you. Well, I was walking past the cemetery rather rapidly, and it was late, and, and it was raining, and suddenly he sprang at me. From where? Where was he standing? I don't know. From, from the shadow of the wall. You didn't see him then until he sprang at you? No, sir. The first thing I knew, he was upon me, him bearing me down. He didn't shout first to tell you to put up your hands? Oh, no, sir. He leaped upon me like, like some wild beast. It almost knocked me off my feet. I see. Valsan reports that he was a very old man. It doesn't seem possible that he could attack you so violently. Oh, but he did. He did. And and then I struck at him with my cane, and and uh, and he fell. Did you hit him very hard? No. No, no I, I couldn't have hit him very hard. I, I was off balance when I struck. I Oh, I just thrashed out wildly. Mm, this is the cane you hit him with, is it not? Yes, sir. Yeah, very light. You couldn't have hit him hard without breaking it. That's right. That's right. I... Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, were you ever in the army? Why, what, why, yes. Well, how long ago? I was discharged three, no, three, four years ago. What branch of the army? The infantry? Yes, sir. Uh, now, Monsieur Bonneau, as a member of the infantry, you no doubt learned to use a bayonet, didn't you? Why, I, I just... I... You did, didn't you? Well, yes, of course, but... No, no. Did you ever see this bayonet before? No. No. Well, look at it carefully. Oh, I tell you, I've never seen it. I've never seen... Yeah, it's the bayonet with which you killed that man. It was picked up near the cemetery wall. Unfortunately, the rain washed off the bloodstains and your fingerprints. My, my fingerprints? Yes, but... Well, what do you but... mean? What, what are you talking about? I've never seen that thing. Yeah, sit down now. I... Sit down. But I... Sit down. Uh... All right, that's better now. Now let's have the truth. All right. I've told you the truth. I've told you all I know about it. The man... I said I want the truth. Uh, Very well. Since you don't want to tell me what happened, I'll tell you. You were the one who crouched in the shadow of the cemetery wall. In your hand, you held this bayonet, a souvenir from your army days. No, no, I... Yeah, and as that man came past, you leaped out at him, plunged this bayonet into his throat. That's what killed him. Not a blow with the cane, but this bayonet... That's not true. It's not true. And what's more, Monsieur Bonneau, this isn't your first murder. On last Friday night, oh, wait, you wait, were out wait, in the... Oh. oh, come in, Dr. Mortimer. Did you finish the examination? Yes. You can let this fellow go. What? Let him go? Why, he's practically convicted right now. Yes, let him go. He's been telling you the truth. But this bayonet here is... The wound wasn't made with a bayonet. I should say it was made with a razor. And this young fellow didn't do it. He's no more guilty of attacking that man than I am. No, no, he, he attacked me. It was just as I said. He, he leaped at me. Yeah, now, how do you know he didn't do it? Because that body that I examined has been a corpse for days. A corpse? And the cause of death was suicide. Do you believe that a dead man... Walking on the streets of Paris and attacking a pedestrian? Well, uh, wait. I haven't finished yet. 
Well, I started out to tell you a true ghost story. I said I was going to try to make you believe it. But right now, I bet you think I'm just about the biggest liar that ever walked on two legs. I told you that one rainy January night in Paris, a gendarme heard a cry for help. The cry came from a spot just out the side of the walls of San Panas Cemetery. When the gendarme arrived, he found two men, one of them leaning breathlessly against the wall, the other lying on the sidewalk. The fellow leaning against the wall said his name was Bano. He claimed he had been passing the cemetery when this other man had leaped upon him and tried to rob him. He said he had struck his assailant with a cane, but Bonneau's story didn't seem to jibe with the facts of the case. The man on the sidewalk was dead. He was a very old man. It didn't seem possible that he'd attempt to rob a husky young fellow like Bonneau. Moreover, the cane with which Bonneau said he had struck his assailant was a light walking stick hardly capable of doing a serious damage at all, let alone heavy enough to kill a man. But that wasn't the only questionable point in Bonneau's story. Examination revealed that the dead man had a knife wound, a ragged gash in his neck, and near the wall was found a long bayonet, such as used in the French army. Well, it looked like an open-and-shut case against Bonneau. The police believed that he was the one who had been the assailant. He had attacked the old man and killed him. In fact, not long before, there had been another murder outside the cemetery wall. A hand and several other dismembered portions of a body had been found. And authorities believed that Bonneau was only guilty of that. Yes, it looked pretty bad for Bonneau. And then came a surprise. The identity of the dead man. It was found that he had committed suicide the week previous and had been in his grave for three days. So Bonneau couldn't possibly have killed him. A dead man who had been buried for three days had apparently climbed out of his grave and had attacked a pedestrian. No wonder you think I'm stretching the truth. But wait a minute. The next morning in the inspector's office... Yes? Oh, good morning, Doctor. Come on in. Well, what did you find on the bayonet? Nothing. At least nothing to indicate that Bono used it last night. I'm afraid you're wasting your time trying to build a case against him. Yes? What makes you think so? Dupre tells me that Bono's story about going to Cartier's Cafe between 12 and 1 o'clock to collect the bill is true. He says three different people saw Bono there. Well, what of it? That doesn't prove anything. Except that Bono might have been trying to establish an alibi. An alibi for what? You certainly aren't accusing him of murdering a man who's been dead and in his grave for a week. No. And I certainly don't believe dead men walk in the streets of Paris and hold up wayfarers either. Bono said it leaped on him with the ferocity of a wild beast. And without warning, didn't utter a sound. Well, maybe Bono's lying. He's told the truth in every other respect. Why should he lie about that? What has he to gain by it? Oh, I don't know. But dead men don't get up out of their graves and go walking around the street. Now look here. Do you recall that incident where someone, a servant girl, I believe it was, claimed she saw a ghost near San Panas Cemetery? Yes, but... Oh, she was running from her shadow. 
If I remember correctly, several others saw it, too. All of them couldn't have been frightened by their own shadows. In fact, I understand the people in the neighborhood of San Panas are afraid to go near the cemetery after sundown. Ah, they're a pack of superstitious fools. Oh, I don't know. Someone who apparently wasn't superstitious did go there several nights ago and was murdered. Hacked to pieces. And I don't believe the police have discovered who the murderer was. Or what he did with the body. Well, we'll find out who committed that murder. And anyway, what is it to do with Bono's case? That's what I've been wondering. There might be a connection between those ghost stories and that murder and what happened to Bono last night. As I say, I didn't find any blood stains on the bayonet. But I did find something else. What? At some time or other, the blade had been thrust into the ground, possibly to clean it. In the little space where the blade joins the hilt, I found a small quantity of earth. I examined it under a microscope. Mixed with it were small particles of flesh. Flesh? Yes, human flesh. Mm. That bayonet apparently had been used to dismember a body. Then, as I say, the blade cleaned by thrusting it into the ground. Well, what are you getting at? Simply that the bayonet might have been the same instrument used in that murder last Friday night. Oh, we've already looked into that. Bono worked at his office last Friday night until quite late, and then went directly home. I didn't say Bono committed the murder. Well, then who did? What's the point? The point is that the murder took place on Friday evening, the same day that this dead man found last night was buried. But good heavens, you're not insinuating that a dead man committed the murder? People see a ghastly figure lurking in the shadow of San Parnas. Later, someone is brutally murdered there. And after that, Bono is attacked, strikes his assailant down, and it proves to be a corpse. Near it is found the knife that the murder was committed with. What's your theory? Well, that you should have been a fiction writer instead of a physician. But as they return the corpse to the vault this afternoon, suppose you and I go out to the cemetery this evening and see that it stays in the vault and doesn't go prowling around scaring people. No, thank you. <laughs> Besides, I have an appointment at 8 o'clock. Oh, come along. I might be able to show you something interesting. I'll meet you at 4.30. All right, 4.30. My off. And so that evening, as dusk was falling, two figures made their way along the gravel path that wound through the deserted, wind-swept cemetery. That's the vault just ahead. But I don't want to approach it by the path. Let's cut across over in here. Come on over this way. All right. This is close enough. Now we can watch from behind that clump of shrubs. Come on. Come on over here. See here. Would you mind explaining to me just why we're doing all this, uh, this sleuthing? Why, Doctor? We're here to get a glimpse of the specter of San Panas. Weren't you the one that advanced the theory that there really was a ghost? 
I didn't say that. I said there might be a connection between the fact that people thought they saw a ghost and the murder last Friday and what happened to Bono. Yes, I think there is a connection. You've probably come closer to the truth than any of us. But we'll have to wait until a few seconds after five o'clock to make sure. Maybe longer. A few seconds after five o'clock? Yes, until after sunset. What's sunset got to do with it? Well, Doctor, I've been doing a little investigating since I talked with you this morning. I've discovered a number of interesting things. Things that seem to fit very snugly into your theory. For example, this corpse that supposedly attacked Bono was the corpse of a suicide. Yes, but what... And uh... I found there is a belief that a suicide is not permitted the calm and quiet of the grave, that he is doomed for a time to walk the night, that at sunset he arises out of his tomb. Oh, that's all superstitious nonsense. Now, see, dear, perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. That's exactly what I want to find out. For who can say what superstition leaves off? And scientific facts begin. You surely can't be serious. Only I am serious. There might even be a corpse emerge from that vault. Oh. There's the chapel clock. But we still might have a long wait. Wait for what? Nothing's going to happen. And if it did, it's getting too dark to see anything. I'm going... Shh, shh. Wait a moment. Lamar, quiet. Good Lord. I swear I saw the door of that vault move. There it is again. The creak of the hinge. The door is opening. Keep quiet. Lamar, the doorway of the vault. Look out! The figure, the figure of... Look out! Oh, that's all right. Dupre will stop him. And even if he doesn't, the man can't get far with a charge of buckshot in him. That shotgun trap of yours was an excellent idea. Only for a moment I didn't think it was going to work. I said it so the vault door had to be swung entirely open before the gun would discharge. Yeah. I didn't expect he'd open the door from the inside. Yeah. He must have been hiding in there. All right, find Dupre. And if he isn't caught, investigate every chemist shop, doctor's office, and hospital in the neighborhood for a man with a shotgun wound. But... But who is he? Oh, <laughs> you're still here, Doctor. Yes, but good heavens. What happened? Who was he? The maniac who's been breaking into the vault, stealing bodies and hacking them to pieces with a bayonet. You mean? I told you I had discovered a lot of interesting things today. Now, one of them was the fact that a body was stolen from that vault last Friday. The attendant kept it a secret, afraid he'd be blamed for carelessness. But that hand the police found wasn't the hand of a murdered man. It was the hand of a corpse. But, but this thing that happened to Bono last night... Oh, that's very easily explained. The maniac happened to toss a body over the cemetery wall just as Bono passed. The body fell on him. That's why he thought the man had leaped at him. But see here. See here. How did you know the fellow was going to rob this particular vault tonight? 
Well, I wasn't sure that he'd show up tonight. But if I knew he did, this would be the vault. You see, this is the vault they placed the bodies in before burial. Well, let's be going. You still have time to keep that 8 o'clock appointment, you know. And there's your ghost story. I might add that the maniac was found in a nearby hospital. His name was Francis Bertrand, a non-commissioned officer in the French Army. He had an excellent service record and seemed quite sane, except at intervals when, as he expressed it, an irresistible impulse came over him to rob graves. As the French law did not deal with crime of grave robbing, he was tried on a minor charge and served a term of one year. A complete record of the case is in the files of the Paris Criminal Court. And now, uh, do you believe it? Well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. And I want to give a big thank you to those who follow me on Facebook. I just surpassed 10,000 followers. Amazing. You can also find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd One. Or if you want to hit me up, drop a line, a suggestion, a request, hey, a criticism, feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com. And I also have a YouTube page, basically, Terror Radio. So if you get a chance, please check it out. Subscribe. Would be highly appreciated. Again, this is Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>